Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. Taking it to the streets is all about advancing firefighter safety and operational integrity for the fire service through provocative insights and dynamic discussions dedicated to both the art and science of firefighting and the traditions of the fire service. The focus at Taking It to the Street continues to be straightforward, street-level talk with intelligent, stimulating, and provocative insights and dynamic discussion with interactive dialogue and, most importantly, listener participation. Just like around the kitchen table or in the day room over a cup of coffee at 02.30 after a good run. And now, the latest edition of Taking It to the Streets with your host, Christopher Nall. Welcome to this edition of Buildings on Fire's Taking It to the Streets. I'm your host, Chris Nam. Joining me tonight again on our continuing series of the Commercial Fireground, where we are wrapping up our six-part series talking about the personal Commercial Fireground, uh, is my good friend and colleague, Chief Doug Klein, coming to us from his program of fire and training. We've had the opportunity over the last uh, six episodes, and this being our sixth, to uh, sort of cross-pollinate our two programs and bring to you, our listeners, a much greater in-depth perspective of today's uh, demands associated with the commercial fireground. So, Doug, nice to have you back again, brother. Uh, it's always an honor and a privilege to be back, Chris. It's I think what we're doing and what we're providing the listeners and uh, cross-pollinating the two shows together is is just phenomenal. It, it doesn't get any better than that, and it, it allows us to be able to to share a lot more. Yeah. Well, very much so. So if you're only if this is the first time you're listening into our program um, or listening to this episode. So on Buildings on Fire, we are continuing our conversation on the built environment, the associations of building instruction and its relationship to a variety of different operational perspectives. We've had the opportunity over the last uh, five other episodes in both of our uh, series on our both our podcast and our webcast programs on Chief Klein's Fire and Training, and here on Buildings on Fire, we've been talking about the challenges uh, around the uniqueness of commercial buildings. We've talked about everything from the small, standalone, uh, fast food uh, commercial structure, all the way up to the big box or mega centers that, that exist throughout the United States. The one thing that all of them share is that they all have significant levels of risk those risks are clearly associated with the types of occupancies that those buildings have, the types of services provided by their either sales and or commodities that are, that are within the buildings, and then certainly the types of both occupancy loads that are present by both civilians as well as those that work within the buildings, and then also the degree of fire loading that are going to be present that are also going to be sometimes uh, dictated by seasonal applications, whether we are in a particular holiday period and so forth, and things that are stored, things that are going out the door and such, or, or things that are in preparation for the kinds of activities that that store may have. Um, and then also to the extent of location, Doug, right? Depending upon whether we're on the, uh, on the coast or whether we're inland or, or in some other location, those particular uh, commercial buildings may have significant 
fire loading uh, based upon what they're selling to the locals and to the tourists that are coming through there. And certainly in, in the Grand Strand and in Horry County there, uh, you guys certainly are not uh, uh, of anything less than that, right? Significant fire risks, significant size of buildings, everything from uh, from the boardwalk all the way up to the, uh, actually to, bo to both boardwalks, I should say, right? From the boardwalk yeah. at the beach to the boardwalk uh, at the shopping uh, shopping centers, correct? That's correct. And, you know, not to mention, you know, across the United States and some of the challenges that go along with what occurs. And one of the things that um, you, you think about the ski resorts this time of year and, and how busy they are, the types of commodities and products that they have in and the stores just it, it's endless of what we could talk about in each district and some of the challenges and each one of those chris as we talk about tonight each one of those types of districts has lessons learned that we need to keep in our minds going forward yeah there's certainly no question about that i, I think that uh Lessons and learnings uh, from the fire ground when we talk about historical precedences, uh, those, those kinds of situations where in, uh, in past conditions we've had fires, we've had events, we've had line of duty deaths, and those, again, continue to, uh, continue to challenge us when we talk about uh, uh, what it is that we are learning or sometimes forgetting, unfortunately, in, the, in that process. Um, we go back to a, th a few things back in the 90s and the early 2000s. I think that when we talk about the commercial fire ground in particular, there were a series of events, especially when we relate them back to the commercial fire ground, that set into motion a number of things that we are continuing to discuss and talk about here today that are just as relevant today as they were back in that day. And unfortunately, many of those uh, events sometimes are just lost to history. When we talk about uh, fires in McDonald's, we talk about fires in gift stores, um, they all have very significant lessons and learnings that uh, um, set us up into uh, where we are today. Well, that's definitely true. And, you know, I think about a number of the fires that I have run and how I can relate those to other incidents across the United States that you know, had different outcomes. And, you know, when we talk about commercial structures, and that's what we're talking about, there's such a vast array of those. And some of the lessons that uh, always seem to come to my mind, anytime the tones drop, anytime the crews are responding, anytime that, you know, I'm listening as the duty chief, I, I begin thinking about, and it, it just automatically comes to my mind, uh, what has happened, whether it's been in my career, whether it's what I've learned vicariously by reading NOSH reports or by being in a class or, or talking with other people or any of those type of things, it, it just automatically, you know, comes to mind and I start running those things back. And that's a good way of, of saying that now our hard drives are kicking in. Uh, I know you got a new computer and switching files and all that stuff, but Think about what it takes to pull pull that information back out about the lessons that we know. And one of the challenging pieces here is as our younger generations coming in and some of the, the time period that is, you know, what we grew up on and cut our teeth with and learned from is now dissipating very quickly in the shadows. 
and is is not as prevalent as what it used to be, but it still has the relevance that we need to be discussing. And I think that's one of the things that uh, this series we're doing, especially tonight, when we start talking about lessons learned and and going back to the things like the wall bombs, the uh, the Vendome, uh, talking about um, the Southwest supermarket store we talked about, you know, in 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 the fifth part series, uh, going to you know fires that were in like the total computer center that I was at when we got all entangled up in, inside the building. Yeah. Those are lessons learned. Uh, that it's important for us as individuals, especially as instructors, Chris, to, to share. But again, it's, it's important for all these other aspects that are out there with the near misses and the NOS reports that we're being students and learning from those events. One of the things that we've been continuing to discuss here on Buildings on Fire both uh, on both of our respective programs on fire and training with Chief Klein and certainly here on Buildings on Fire, is the continuing challenges that are associated with the commercial fire ground, commercial buildings, commercial occupancies, and more importantly, the lessons and learnings that have been drawn out of those events over the decades and in the years of time. One of the things that has been common to our conversation in our previous uh, episodes and series leading up to our final episode here is that all of these particular occupancies have significant degrees of risks. Those risks, again, become very evident as companies arrive on scene and size up the buildings, determinant risk factors based upon the severity, and start engaging into the structure. We've talked about strategy. We've talked about tactics. We've talked about risk factors. We've talked about building construction. We've talked about the global issues affecting the small standalone uh, commercial building all the way up to the big box structures. And one of the things that uh, Doug and I wanted to really sort of uh, pull together here on our final episode for this series were some of the lessons, learnings, and leadership that are drawn out of the commercial fire ground. More importantly, just talk about some of the pertinent examples that, again, some of our listeners may be familiar with, and certainly the one that we'll lead off here in a moment, but also a few that uh, resonate when we talk about those types of commercial buildings that are pretty common, the food, uh, fast food type stores and responses, or some of the smaller strip malls and commercial buildings that are out there that continue to stress, challenge, and uh, uh, demand a high degree of respect on the fire ground when we do respond. So Doug, again, I wanna thank you for uh, certainly being part of this uh, phenomenal series. We had a great opportunity to think about what we wanted to say in the early, uh, stages and phases of this particular program. And then we quickly recognized that we had to expand this series out to, to be what it is. And that was the, the six part series for, uh, for all of our programs, which we're culminating here in our final episode on lessons and learnings from the commercial fire ground. So some lead in uh, comments as we get into our, our discussion here uh, on this episode. Well, Chris, and, and the way we've been approaching this is, is taking basically the totality of the picture look. And, you know, when we're looking at lessons and learning, I think there's a lot that comes back to that. In, in lesson five, we talked about um, wall bombs. We've, we talked about several other events. And I think this is, this is where we really dive into uh, letting our listeners know just how important the lessons are that, that are from our past. Part of what we're seeing is, 
in our time period, when we were cutting our teeth, when we were coming along, some of the, the responses we went to, some of the big events that that occurred during our time frame that we learned from, from those folks that were just phenomenal individuals that were teaching are, are starting to fall into the shadows of the wayside. And I, I think that that can happen. And, you know, things like the super um, sofa store in Charleston or the Southwest supermarket, the Vendome in, you know, Boston, we go back to wall bombs. We, we talk about a lot of these that are there and, and I think that's something that we have to really dive into and, and talk more about. And our, our listeners need to be looking at the NAS reports and learning. And And I, I go back to what I learned on, on running some of the calls and, and the total computer center when I was uh, in Chapel Hill and, and being, you know, wrapped up in all those wires. And I talked about cutting them loose. And, you know, those are lessons learned that we've got to share with people so that they're learning vicariously from, from us, but also, it's lessons. What did we gain out of, of that event occurring? And even when, you know, we're, we're honoring those that, that paid the ultimate sacrifice, what are we learning from those type of events, especially on these commercial structures, which are very, very challenging? Well, I think to, to talk about when we talk about Fireground Legacy um, and probably the most significant event in our generation of the fire service uh, if we go back to the Sofa Superstore fire in Charleston, South Carolina, from uh, June 18th of uh, 2007, which uh, resulted in the uh, in nine line of duty deaths of uh, of uh, our, our firefighters and our brothers in in, uh, in Charleston. Um, for many of our listeners, Doug, you know, you and I have, as we travel around and as we present, uh, continue to see some of the challenges regarding. The, the fading of these lessons. And again, we're talking about 2007. It is rather significant. It seems like it was only yesterday when we talk about that date, but uh, you know, we've all gone beyond the 10th anniversary. And as, as we start approaching almost the, uh, uh, the next uh, significant milestone here, um, a, most, a most significant event in its standpoint of 2007 and certainly going into the the next eight to ten year period of time all the way up to 2017 and and so forth um nine line of duty deaths commercial buildings significant examples and lessons learnings examples that promote uh the the positive and things that promote the negative and in an all due respect to again the the uh the fire service the fire department in Charleston. Um, our listeners really need to take a look at the three reports. There were three significant reports, and although we can't get into the level of detail on this particular episode as, as we might like, I would encourage our listeners to take a look at uh, three specific reports that were uh, paramount at that time and continue to be very re relevant today. First and foremost, I believe the NIOSH report would provide some insights that uh, the the general firefighter, general officer, uh, chief officer out there can glean a tremendous degree of insights on uh, the parameters of that event, the details of the operation, and more importantly, the recommendations and learnings that came out of that report. Um, it's much easier of a read relative to that NIOSH report, and that's accessible right directly from the NIOSH firefighter line of duty death uh, website. The second report, um, which provides a wealth and depth of, of aspects was the Routley report. And that was uh, 
um, titled after Gordon Routley, who was the main facilitator of that report that brought in a number of different subject matter experts and developed a a baseline report of everything that led up to that report, as well as looked at other cultural related issues affecting um, that operations and uh, the outcome. But a significant, I think, watershed report that looked at a lot of different elements, but again, delved into some very specifics. And then thirdly, the uh, NIST report. The NIST report really delved into some details regarding building performance, the fire dynamics, and and other related aspects. But um, if nothing else, I think what our program here in this episode should be all about is certainly honoring the legacy of the Charleston Nine as it relates back to a commercial building and the various aspects that we've been talking about here throughout our other five episodes. So, um, you know, Doug, coming out of uh, out of the out of South Carolina, certainly um, the aspects of this particular event and the learnings. I think the the learnings nationally when we take a look at what precipitated the American Fire Service or even the North American Fire Service to do a, a stop and adjust? You know, we, we all have similar buildings and, and what occurred in that particular city at that particular time still are, are present and relevant here in 2024 in any jurisdiction, whether we talk about a small rural setting you know, with a dollar store in, uh, in Beckley, uh, West Virginia, or whether it be something in the Grand Strand or something across the United States in uh, the West Coast or Northeast or anywhere in between, right? I mean, there's relevancy here of, of significant takeaways when we talk about commercial buildings and much of what we've been talking about right along. Well, I definitely agree, Chris. There's so much that can can be learned and gained from these. And, uh, you know, Looking back at, at the Charleston, I studied that that event significantly at the time period. Um, having a little bit of insight, being a little bit involved with it, one of the things that, that I really looked at very, very strongly was being a fire chief in a city that had furniture production, that had um, a lot of textile industry, things like that that re- very closely resembled that building and that type of occupancy and that type of fire loading and the potential of what could occur to us. I, I really I really looked at that in, in what I would call finite detail. And it really changed the perspective of, hey, are we what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? And what do we need to prepare our people for? And, you know, one of the things and this this is a mentality that exists. And and I'm just I'm going to speak facts is that when I wanted to take the Rotley report and, you know, another one of the reports have folks read it and mandate that they read it. uh, I got some pushback and I got some pushback from some of the folks that had been around for a long period of time to the point that council's like, you know, nobody around us is requiring this to be read. And when, when I had the conversation with the city manager, it was like, I really don't care if anybody else around us is having it read or not. It's very applicable to us. It's, it's, you know, things that could affect our city our infrastructure of the city, the financial components of the city 
you know, can impact into, you know, us having line of duty deaths potentially. It needs to be operationally looked at for tactical deployments and and realizing what we would do. And needless to say, I, I kind of lost that battle. Uh, unfortunately, I, I lost it significantly with the political venue, but I, I attacked it in a different way. I had the opportunity to actually have a commercial structure that we could do some live fire training in. And of course, the first thing that I wanted to do is, okay, how do we create lessons learned that we're learning vicariously from somebody else? And what are some of the impacts that can occur with that? So I was very, very fortunate to have one of the Office of State Fire Marshal um, trainers, you know, people that work for them, that develop curriculum, that evaluated and tested programs to actually be one of the volunteers within my combination organization there. And Greg Chatham and I got together and um, he, he was very, very good with live fire. And, you know, we had burned a lot with inside the city training people. And I, I went to him and said, okay, how do we do this? How do we get this, you know, structure to the point that we can do certain levels of training to accomplish these objectives. And one of the objectives was getting people to understand how hard it is to deploy in a building any length of distance uh, where you got to make a couple of turns and, and things like that. The other side of the fence was, you know, in, in Series 5, we talked about the, the types of, of ceilings and drop ceilings and things that are protecting, you know, the structure itself. And what happens if they fail? And we had a lot of drop ceilings in that area and a lot of that flexible ductwork that's that's in the ceilings. It was an older style design. And it was like these people have never really seen that because they've not had this level of fire. They've not experienced this, these type of things. So we work very, very difficultly to uh, make this a safe environment, which we went through the process. We worked with even the code side. Uh, to strip the structure, except for the rooms, we created barriers where they couldn't go into the rooms, except, you know, it, they could actually flow water over them, showed what happened when these ceilings would fall and come down, showed them the complexities of it, showed them what happened with the reaction of the water on the ceilings. And we, we did this uh, from, the, from the light of day into the cloak of darkness because it does change the impact of things in the building. And I wanted folks to have to experience that. And we, we did a lot of burning. Uh, we, we brought a lot of people in. We brought a lot of folks in from the state. And lo and behold, we had a great time, first of all, in the training. Uh, the biggest part, the impact came about three weeks later when we had a commercial structure. And it was not box, Chris, but this was a shoe box. It was like a convenience store. It wasn't as big as a Dollar General, but it had all the components that we had. And when they got there, they recognized we need to hold up. We don't need to necessarily go in. We need to flow water from the exterior. Uh, we're at the point this, this is going to occur based upon the knowledge they gained from that. So lessons learned from a training applied from the lessons learned and in fire behavior and the complexities that came out of out of Charleston and and trying not to have a, a history repeating event uh, under my watch as a fire chief and 
again, you know, that was very disheartening uh, as a fire chief to have the political arena jump in and say, you know, we, we, we don't need to do this or this isn't important when they're not the experts, but we're learning from the experts. And there were some phenomenal people that worked on those reports and very, very knowledgeable people. And again, there, there was a lot of lessons, some of them that uh, we necessarily didn't want to hear. Some of them were were things that were just heart wrenching as far as what we got. But, you know, again, to honor those nine people, um, we're obligated to learn from that. And that's just my opinion. And we even take our recruits to Charleston. Well, yeah. And again, Doug, you make some great points. When we talk about history, uh, relationships, the fading lessons, unfortunately, fade too quickly. And, And one of the points that I wanted to bring up here in the beginning, as we talk about, you know, as we get further and further away from events, whether it be on the local or national level, uh, those events do fade back into history. And we don't have the ability to recall the lessons, the learnings, the best practices, the challenges, and be able to apply some of those regarding the the events of the day. And in other words, I think that when we take a look at, uh, although the continuing trend of commercial buildings is unabated. We are seeing more and more commercial structures of a variety of sizes and complexities, especially with hybrid construction coming about in all jurisdictions, no matter where you go, from the most ruralist to the most uh, urban and uh, ultra-urban types of settings. And the one thing I think is also resonating is that there no longer is a template for today's commercial buildings. There is much more of a continuing trend toward a variety of hybrid related conditions and constructions and features in the building, both from an engineering, architectural, aesthetic standpoint, that the only way we're going to be able to possibly select the right attributes of strategy, tactics, tactical windows, deployment, hand lines, gallon per minute flow rates, whatever it may be, is to try to connect some of the patterns and uh, the dots that are in front of us by those indicators. In other words, we're sizing up, we're looking at a footprint, we're looking at an occupancy, we're looking at a particular business by name, um, and trying to recall some lessons and learnings, both from um, from uh, either reports, after action reports, line of duty deaths, um, textbooks, wherever those resources may be, or, or the kitchen table conversations, or the conversations and presentations at conferences. Taking, taking all of that in place, to be able to give a, give us some suggested avenues and directions to go based upon sort of a hybrid recognition prime decision making, right? We we either don't have that experience or we're trying to put it all together based upon the the uh, the new event that we have. The one thing that all of these share when we talk about lessons and learnings is that we have high risk events with low frequency uh, occurrences. And although the frequency in some jurisdictions is increasing, um, it may not always be the best practice by what you are doing even though you may have had a success in the past. So it's, it's really being on top of your game each and every time. One of the things that we wanted to talk a little bit about here in this episode is just to give you, our listeners, a couple of different insights. So we talked about two very prominent events, the uh, Phoenix, Arizona, Phoenix Fire Department's uh, Brett Tarver line of duty death at the Southwest Infire. And then we just mentioned the 2007 uh, nine line of duty deaths at the Charleston Sofa Superstore fire in Charleston, South Carolina. Both of those, I believe, are probably the most uh, significant events relative to the lessons and learnings 
and how both of those events truly changed the way we were doing business and hopefully are continuing to do business regarding the commercial fire ground. One event that was very pinnacle uh, back in the early era of the fire service, and again, although it seems like yesterday for some of us, um, it is going back quite a number of years. And that event uh, was the South, uh, excuse me, was the um, Sunrise Gift Store fire that occurred in uh, Orange County, Florida, and that occurred on February 24th of 1989. Uh, that particular event in a small footprint commercial uh, structure, which was again a gift shop, which is very common for the that area. We'll explain a little bit more about that here in a moment. Uh, resulted in a double line of duty death, both of an acting lieutenant, Lieutenant Todd Aldridge, and also a firefighter paramedic, Mark Benj. And both of those lost their lives while in the early stages of a very fast developing fire that all started off with just a single engine response to a report of a smoke odor in a gift shop. And for many of our listeners who have traveled to uh, to uh, Orlando and to the uh, Disneyland area, um, this particular structure is just an, an innocuous building that's just a couple of blocks off of Interstate 4 as you uh, get off the interstate to make a turn to go to uh, to what used to be the original uh, hotel streets or, or hotel row there in Disney before downtown Disney was built and such. But as you travel off the interstate to make a turn to go to downtown Disney, or I think it's called a, a different term currently, just one block up off of that uh, intersection uh, was the location of the Sunrise gift, store, uh, gift Shop fire. It currently has been reconstructed. There is a convenience store and a uh, uh, pizza shop that's located in there. And I'll tell you, Doug, uh, for many, many years, uh, prior to putting a couple of things together, I had visited that particular property where nothing is mentioned, nothing is, is uh, uh, honoring the, the loss of two firefighters in the line of duty. Uh, but when we were visiting uh, that particular area and staying at an area hotel, I frequented that particular property on that hollowed ground many, many time over many, many years and not recognizing until a number of years later that that uh, was the site that had been rebuilt that we are talking about here uh, on the for the February 24th, 1989 fire. So um, that particular event, again, began with just an engine company responding um, for a report of a smoke odor. And as we talked about in the last episode, Doug, when we talked about uh, concealed spaces, this fire was located and had been burning for a considerable length of time in a concealed area up above the gypsum wallboard that uh, was part of the compartment. And unfortunately, that compartment, again, very common in the 1989 era, was all of very lightweight engineered wood construction, a very significantly large uh, voided space. That fire was uh, just smoldering along until the company arrived, went into an investigation mode, and what do you think ended up happening next? So as they're, they don't have a tick camera at the time, but again, they're popping the ceiling to identify what uh, and where that odor may have originated from. And in doing so, introduce some additional oxygen into that space. A very catastrophic explosion ends up occurring, uh, trapping um, all of those firefighters in that location. So um, <clears throat> it was interesting to note that that particular event uh, led to a considerable amount of conversation in the American Fire Service concerning voided spaces, 
<clears throat> limited responsive manpower because, again, as a single unit response at the time, <clears throat> there was no additional resources available uh, due to the fact that this now went from an investigation to a very large-scale catastrophic event with trapped firefighters, and <clears throat> the engineer was the only other individual who could go back to the engine and call, again, one of the survivors, to call for additional resources unbeknownst to the 911 center. Let, let's stop and think about just that one little piece. And again, I'm not beating anybody up, but it's reality. How many times do volunteer fire departments across the United States or the world uh, respond with one truck and about three people to even fires? Yeah. It, it's reality. And, you know, I, I hate to keep using this, this analogy this past weekend of talking to folks, but it's, it's relevant in my mind. And it, it is a rural setting. And even in some of the urbanized settings of, of where I was at in West Virginia, you know, they still don't send that many people to fires. And again, you know, three, four people during the day on a fire in West Virginia, you're 20 minutes, 30 minutes of getting some help sometimes. And, you know, these were the conversations that we were having about um, the tactics that we talked about, the considerations. But, you know, even throughout the some of these lessons learned, and I use this particular case as part of the conversation, is they went to a smoke investigation. How many times have you been dispatched to a smoke investigation? And, and I go back to I was dispatched to a smoke investigation and basically a smell of smoke in the building. And I happened to be we, we sent two trucks. I mean, that was what we sent. So the first crew went up and they were met with a bunch of smoke. Almost sounds like uh, Adams away in Memphis, Tennessee, on the automatic alarm that they've been to 20 plus times in that month. So, again, that level of complacency can kick in and these are the lessons that are lost and I, I just go back and it's hard to believe that uh, 1993 yesterday was the World Trade Center bombing you go back and talk about this event you know even a few years before that you go back and talk about uh, uh, events with with Charleston how long ago that that's that's actually been it, it, it's scary to think that Time has actually moved that fast on us, Chris. I yeah, mean, it's, that's for that's it, for it's like it was yesterday that these things occurred in our minds, but it's yet the gap is huge. And how many people even know about this particular incident we're talking about in Orange County? Or well, you know, that, that's a problem. And it is a big problem. And this was a, a very, very significant event in that era of time specifically because of two factors. Number one, the, the continuing issue with staffing levels as staffing started becoming uh, reduced. Uh, it was becoming, it became very common to start having three-person staffed uh, units respond out as, as they did there. And then secondly, the aspects of a commercial building with uh, lightweight engineered or lightweight frame construction. So those things, again, were all common to a continuing thread of conversation dealing with the vulnerabilities of our buildings the aspects of fire loads, uh, the aspects of tactical approaches, and then the staffing level of what one can do and not to do, and then the delays that come about. So, you know, in this instance, we have the engineer who survives. He ends up calling out 
<clears throat> the additional resources necessary to fill out the box, uh, which there is a delay that fire continues to grow and so forth. So unfortunately, we end up having a, an acting lieutenant who that in itself, you're going to hear this in another moment here, when we talk about the next lesson uh, from a, another case study in which, if think of it this way, <clears throat> we have company officers who are trained, commanding officers who are trained, skilled and developed their, their uh, skill sets in that role and responsibility. It continues to be even more challenging when we have individuals who are riding out of role and in positions or riding up, as it was in this instance, where you have an acting officer um, who may have other challenges along with what's being encountered with the fire. And this will be important to note that there's another event that occurred in a commercial building where we had another acting officer. So although there may be some commonalities, may, there may be differences there, but it's just certainly something that one should always consider when we talk about experience, other related aspects. The only other thing I'll add in, the, in this particular event from Orange County was that it wasn't until 2009 in which uh, Florida finally uh, had the uh, were for all to pass some legislation that had been stalled out for, for many, many years, uh, again, almost two decades. But in 2009, the Florida legislature was able to pass the uh, Aldridge Benjay uh, Firefighter Safety Act, which in the state of Florida uh, now required the placarding for uh, commercial buildings for both floors, roofs, and roof and or floor systems in those structures that had uh, lightweight engineered components to them. So again, another testament which comes on the heels of another fire that, although not specific to our conversation here, but when we talk about the events that occurred in July of 1988 in Hackensack, New Jersey, for the Hackensack Ford fire, where again, a heavy timbered constructed roof system ends up failing. And again, that led to the placarding of truss roofs in the state of New Jersey, specific to the five line of duty deaths that occurred at that particular event. But again, for those of you that do uh, go back to Florida on some frequency, take a look at the areas directly on the side of the door and you'll find an eight inch uh, Maltese cross that will indicate a light frame or a truss light construction system that may be present either in the roof, floor, and or roof and floor component systems. <clears throat> that leads us into another, <clears throat> <clears throat> that leads us into another line of duty death and another lessons here that we wanted to make reference to. And that was a in an auto parts store that occurred on March 18th in 1996. And for many of our listeners, again, you may recall <clears throat> conversations and discussions dealing with the uh, dealing with the event that occurred in uh, Chesapeake Bay, uh, Virginia, and that dealt with, again, with a roof failure. <coughs> and that occurred in Chesapeake Bay, uh, Virginia, uh, for Virginia Fire and Rescue, with a result of a uh, commercial structure with a roof failure that, again, in a similar fashion, Doug, that uh, initially was called out with a single engine response and resulted in uh, a double line of duty death of an acting lieutenant, Lieutenant Frank Young, and a firefighter specialist, John uh, Hudgens, who lost their lives while investigating, again, a smoke odor in the back of that commercial store, lightweight construction, and a series of cascading events. So, you know, these these events continue to occur, but especially the ones that are of in the past, we just are not recognizing the importance of what they played out in that time and how they continue to influence our operations. 
That event also led to a placarding system in the Commonwealth of Virginia for the identification of trust roofs and uh, uh, floor systems for, uh, for commercial buildings. Doug, when I talk about uh, fast food restaurants and such, what's the first thing that uh, comes to mind when we talk about this whole lessons learning and issues dealing with uh, the, the commercial fire ground? What, what have we learned about fast food establishments, generically or generally speaking? Well, one of the things that comes to mind is uh, there is a, an event with line of duty deaths that uh, uh, has a nice report of, about it. But the thing that comes to my mind most is these buildings are considered disposable buildings. And in fact, a lot of these owners or these franchises don't even carry insurance on the building because it is a disposable building and it gets replaced on an average about every 12 to 15 years. It gets completely redone, tore down, put back. Um, one of the other pieces that comes to mind is how they're built, you know, in a construction feature. Uh, again, a lot of engineered systems that are in those buildings but stop and think about the occupancy, but also the type of fire loading you have in there and what can occur. And it, again, easy to get lost and disoriented in a, in a couple of those places, especially in cold smoke uh, for, for those McDonald's and, and Burger Kings and Arby's and all those different places. And, you know, now uh, a good example is some of these places, and I saw one in, in, uh, I think it was in Beaufort, South Carolina. It's a two-story McDonald's. So, I mean, that changes the whole dimensions of, of what you're talking about. And, um, you know, there's, again, the, there's history repeating events to, like, the auto parts store. There was uh, a line of duty death outside of Goldsboro, North Carolina. We've seen multiple, uh, you know, injuries and deaths that have occurred in fast food restaurants. It's not uncommon. So, again, a lot of times our tactics that we're finding uh, are residential tactics being deployed on commercial structures. And that's, that's a big common, commonality that has showed up in some of the NAS reports. And, again, it, it's an experience level, I think, that plays into that. And it, it's also a complacency factor of how we train. We don't train for commercial buildings. We, cha we train typically for residential structures. And... Again, I, I use the term we're a, a, you know, street front, front door fire department a lot of times. Well, you know, you, met, you mentioned uh, disposable uh, structures, and that's exactly where I was uh, uh, thinking, expecting you to lead us to. But uh, another significant event that occurred uh, on March 14th of 2000, so about 24 years ago, we're just coming up to the anniversary here. Uh, and this was a lessons and learnings from the fire ground on a commercial building at a McDonald's uh, restaurant, fast food restaurant. And that in itself, I think, uh, really established this criteria because uh, there was quite a bit of conversation concerning structures that truly have no value, although they they fall within the domains of what we, the fire service, are expected to do. But in this instance, uh, truly it, it exemplified the fact that there was a double line of duty death, unfortunately, as a result of operations in an unoccupied structure um, uh, occurring up in a concealed area. And again, the uniqueness of construction of these particular types of standalones 
uh, lightweight engineering construction, and more importantly, the presence of the rooftop unit and the fact that personnel were operating underneath that structure, not entirely aware of how the buildings were built, the levels of risk, and unfortunately, the sequence of events uh, in a, as that tactical window continued on. Uh, two firefighters, uh, both at the rank of firefighters, lost their lives. Uh, Lewis Mayo and uh, Kimberly Ann Smith both lost their lives on March 14th of 2000, of, of 2000 during the conduct of operations where a rooftop unit ended up uh, falling through the concealed area of that the parallel core trusses up above and both injuring and then subsequently killing uh, both firefighters within the interior confines of that building. The NIOSH report is very uh, explicit getting into uh, significant recommendations. And I think the most significant recommendation that resonates today is that we have recognized that some buildings truly are disposable in this instance, as many others. Um, there is no value. The building is going to be leveled. New building will be built uh, in its entirely very, very quickly uh, for most of these franchises and or businesses. And uh, again, there is a significant level of what we are sacrificing for buildings that are disposable. And then we'll just sort of leave it at that. There's conversations, these these dialogues over many, many years, but that I believe really exemplified the state, the conversation, and what we continue to have debates on about uh, buildings and, and what uh, is worth the life of a firefighter. And again, if you were to look at the International Association of Fire Chiefs, uh, Safety and Survival, uh, learnings. Again, uh, the first rule of engagement is no building is worth the life of a firefighter. And rule number 10 in the uh, the early vintages of that report, um, not, item number 10 was no building is worth the life of a firefighter. So uh, a lot of significance when we take a look at those particular aspects to it, lessons and learnings that, that come out of that uh, particular standpoint. Fast forward a little bit when we've talked about, we've talked about a variety of different building types, but one of the other uh, very, very significant lesson, and I believe we'll just try to focus a little bit more on this. Uh, there's two particular events that our listeners should uh, invest some time and energy on. And this report came out of NIOSH, NIOSH report F2013-14 from a fire that occurred in a strip mall in uh, uh, the metropolitan area of Detroit, just outside of Detroit, uh, actually in Westland, Detroit. And the one single probationary firefighter lost his life in that particular event and due to uh, uh, a structural collapse and a series of issues affecting a building that in this instance, a very conventional strip mall, only 100 foot deep from front to rear and the loss of life of uh, Brian Wolke who, uh, again, was operating on the end of a hose line. So think of it this way, right, Doug? We talk about getting uh, on-the-job training, especially in commercial buildings where we don't have that frequency. We talk about staffing levels with individuals riding the engine. We have other individuals riding the ambulance. And, again, culminating and getting those uh, appropriate balance of resources when the alarm is unfolding. And that's what occurred here. We had uh, firefighter... Uh, uh, Wolke is riding the uh, ambulance. We have a contingent of response on the first alarm. We have personnel that come together to start operating in a very fast developing fire, which unfortunately, unbeknownst to anybody, was a uh, was a arson-based fire, which unfortunately contributed significantly to the catastrophic series of events. 
but I would encourage our listeners to take a look in and really do a deep dive in this particular report due to the extensive amount of, of detail on construction issues that we've talked about in our previous episodes, some things that we talked about in our, in our episode five on tactics, uh, some things that we talked about on risks in one of our episodes, and then uh, what we did, right, I think, Doug, right on uh, episode number two when we talked about building construction. So commercial building, strip mall, very conventional that most of our listeners have similar types of structures, um, conventional types of roof decking, steel bar joist construction, concrete masonry units, a fire that's only 50 feet in from the front door. They're 50 foot in, about midpoint into the structure, another 50 feet to the back portion of the building. But again, common to many of our commercial buildings with uh, both voided spaces in the ceiling that this had, then also rooftop units, right? So this this continues this, the common thread, Doug, that we've been talking about. Lessons, learnings, building features, fire dynamics, the aspects of where we're operating. And unfortunately, the series of events in this instance, they're 50 foot in from the front door. Senior personnel are backing up the probationary firefighter. He's on the nozzle trying to gain experience of, of nozzle time in a, in a deep-seated fire um, with a lot of challenges. But as the conditions started deteriorating and they could hear the structural steel starting to move, uh, wall displacement, and the early stages of collapse, what was imminent, imminent collapse, the training, the high degree of training kicked in for the senior members who instinctively turned and moved in the direction of travel with a hose line and quickly were able to get to the doorway before the uh, area became uninhabitable by the collapse. Um, the probationary firefighter who was on the nozzle Obviously, the report identifies some challenges and did not have this type of, of predetermined, instinctive kind of, of direction and movement, and unfortunately ended up uh, losing his life right there on the nozzle, 50 feet away from that structure. So, you know, these are lessons that uh, resonate with everything we've talked about throughout all five of our episodes, do they not, Doug? Absolutely, they do. And, and just go back to what we said multiple times is the experience and and this is happening as we speak a lot of the experience that exists within departments are leaving they're they're retiring out they're they're no longer there uh they're giving up the volunteerism side uh their health may prevent them from uh responding to calls and and we we go back to the america burning concept and and report from uh, you know, engine company 81 and the time periods that we went to a lot of fires and all these lessons learned. We experienced a lot of that, Chris, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know which it is, but we're, we're the folks that live through those errors and have a lot of this knowledge, just like these people did. They recognized the signs went out. Part of, part of what I think that needs to occur more of is sharing of those experiences. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, people talk, oh, those are war stories. Those are, you know, that's all you do is tell war stories where there's, there's value in what's in the war story. If, if you're relating it to the concepts and so to speak in, in, you know, six episodes now, Chris, we, we've kind of told war stories 
that are relevant to the topics that we're, we're conversing about specifically. But uh, this is this is a common thread that there are people that identify and recognize and react. And there's other folks that just do not have that knowledge. And unfortunately, you just don't gain that knowledge unless you learn it from somebody and you react to that. And I told a story about uh, uh, Chief Jerry Tracy from from FDMY and the, the can of beans that, you know, he pulled out of the cabinet and he was taught. And I remember this was this was probably 35 years, 30 years ago, whatever it was. And he talked about putting it on the floor and and he was, you know, in in tenement housing and type three conditions, things like that. But again, that's a commercial structure for us. Uh, as we're talking about it, it could be a taxpayer in commercial structures and just those little things he put on the floor to see what the floor did. If the can rolled and being uneven and why is it uneven and the recognition of those things. And, you know, fortunately, you know, that is that is a big piece for for us and in, in looking at this and this, what we're talking about are repeating events. This has happened more than just once. And unfortunately, we don't talk about it enough. I don't think the fire service talks about it enough. And I don't think company officers who are the, the true trainers of the fire service are utilizing all these nice reports and near misses and these, these historic events to make relevance to their districts. And I think that's where we've got to get these folks doing more. Unfortunately, this was something that was said the other day is that now we're seeing people being promoted to that company officer that gets a stripe on their sleeve, but doesn't even have enough time to have a star, which is typically five years. And that is a common thread that we're seeing across the United States. And um, I don't remember who wrote this or had it in an article, but it was in one of the fire engineering articles. They were talking about most first arriving officers now that are being promoted to first arriving officers or that first level of company officer uh, don't have five first due working fires under their belt. Now, they may have been the the third due, the fourth due, whatever it is, but they've not been the first due arriving apparatus to see some of those decisions being made. And they even equate that to they've probably not even seen one commercial fire. Yeah. And again, I think the challenge continues to be that we have protected properties by code that lessens the potential susceptibility in terms of frequency. So protected properties, better codes, and other levels of both life safety and related conditions. But when we do see those frequencies due to either economic stressors, other related factors, the frequency of those commercial building fires in certain areas of the country, first dues, municipalities, becomes very frequent, becomes very, very severe, and we see a lot of of destruction and damage and hopefully uh, limiting the degree of potential injuries. But the one thing I think we recognize time and time again through our conversations is that these buildings do create very susceptible levels of risk. They do require and demand a high degree of respect, and more importantly, even a higher degree of preparation, both in terms of training and then knowledge-based and skill-based particular elements. One of the things that I pulled together here quickly that I pulled up, uh, Doug, was uh, 
some things that we've talked about amongst uh, all of our different programs. And it's sort of just a, a running list. And I think what we'll do is uh, I'll, I'll get a screenshot of a couple of these. And we'll get them up in the uh, up on our social media pages and up on Fire Engineering sort of to help uh, round out our conversation here for our series. And I'll actually repost a couple of different diagrams that we had that we made available I think it was on series two or three when we did either risk and or building construction, which was a couple of cross sections that uh, we worked up regarding some generalizations. But quickly, I just want to cover a couple of things here. I'm just going to run through these bullets relative to some of the challenges that have come out as a result of lessons and learnings and best practices. And again, just uh, from a listener standpoint, just listen to what those bullets are and try to connect to what they may have relative to their relevancy to you. In other words, are you able to internalize something here that has some degree of importance that, that might require you to take another look at some things or maybe delve into something or something that triggers a, a, a more of a concern regarding some of the buildings that you may have? So some of these challenges are inclusive of, again, both the footprint, the size, the volume, the number of program spaces. We talked about the number of tenant spaces, the spaces that are up above when we have multiple stories, uh, commercial buildings, as well as tenant spaces that might be adjacent front back to our building. So it's that standalone to the variety of complex program spaces. The uh, uh, identifying the complexity of construction, the structural spans, the number of bays, the open and closedness of that particular building. The fact that these buildings are very susceptible to both compromise and collapse and, high, and are highly vulnerable to both heat and uh, fire exposure. So again, we talked about the compartment, we talked about the volume and the square footages. Doug, you talked extensively about fire dynamics. You also talked about tactical mobility and some of the limitations. And then also, we also talked extensively in our episodes uh, about the life safety threat to not only the civilians, but also to the workers, and that equates back to the, the occupancy load. We've talked about fire load and the risk and the threat to fire, the aspects of the exposures to those buildings, and one of the most elusive issues dealing with the aspects of time. Tactical time and tactical windows, we have limited opportunities to get engaged. We also have a much greater degree of time that's going to elapse while we enter, move through the building, performing the 360, getting up into the structure, moving through exposures and so forth. Uh, structural integrity, critical component when we talk about operational uh, considerations. Uh, the time to deploy. We just talked about uh, the aspects of that, um, that limited manpower resource arriving on scene. You've got to fill out the box. If you don't have an adequacy and a robustness of resources on that first alarm, you will always be somewhat behind that eight ball. Be aware of potential for a rapid uh, fire spread, especially due to the openness of the structure, and be aware of both material, uh, excuse me, both be aware of the fire loading, both in terms of the building's material, as well as the commodities that are going to be in that particular structure. Be highly sensitive to the effectiveness of both sustained and initial fire flows. What do you have available for that initial fire flow? And then the sustainability based upon uh, the operations. And then more importantly, be aware that the, that the fire may not be able to be mitigated and controlled before compromise uh, occurs or before that incident escalates into a much higher level of an operation. 
Be aware of the fixed suppression system's operability and the design and whether that design is appropriate for the change in the building's occupancy usage, right? So, Doug, how many buildings have changed occupancy uh, uh, around the, the uh, area in your in your particular response location there in Horry County in terms of one business going out, a new business coming in, and how many times has that changed over over the number of years? Well, let, well let's, let's just break it down to a year. That may be two or three yeah. times in just a year's oh. time period. And, oh. and again, so with that being said, yeah, so that being said, does, is the fixed systems design uh, up to par with what the new occupancy usage may be. Um, I think we've talked a little bit about the false sense of fire severity and the risk in, in our commercial buildings, uh, the need for air management, the need possibly for tethered lines, being aware of vent paths, flow paths, and so forth. Um, and there is no definitive uh, tactical template for commercial firefighting. I think it's safe to say, um, and I think we both are, 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 are advocates of this, is that what may work in one jurisdiction regarding a particular commercial tactical template in terms of resources, strategy, tactics, and so forth, may only work in that particular area based upon the comp uh, the composition and the availability of resources, uh, the staffing levels, the training levels, and so forth. So you have to be very, very cautious when we take a look at uh, what others are doing. There's going to be some some good best practices but also modify and take into account what it is that you're trying to do in your particular department, your jurisdiction, your region, your community, as it relates to all of those other particular variables and factors that, that certainly may be present. So a lot of different pieces that, that are going to be put into place. And I think Doug will, I think we'll do some screenshots of some of those and get those things posted up to, uh, to help benefit our uh, listeners that are, that are out there. I think that's a great idea, Chris. And and again, uh, take those points, go back and review, uh, look at case studies, look, look at your jurisdiction, look at history repeating events in your jurisdiction that, that may not have injuries or line of duty deaths, but uh, things that, that you're seeing, the changes you're seeing, the, the changes in buildings and occupancy. I think it's, you take every bit of this and you begin analyzing your jurisdiction and start connecting the dots of what are the issues, what are the problems, what are the challenges, you know, wh what are we going to do? When, when the tones drop at 2 o'clock in the morning, what are we going to do? Yeah. And I would say this for as, as we're starting to get into our closing conversation here, another very significant event uh, really looking at the and facing the hard lessons was a uh, single line of duty death, again, in a commercial occupancy occurred in uh, San Antonio, Texas on March 18th of 2017. There are two reports that came out of that, uh, the NIOSH report that was issued in 2018, and then also the Texas State Fire Marshal's report that can be obtained through the uh, Texas Fire Marshal's website uh, uh, in the state of Texas. But two of those reports uh, uh, surrounded the events that occurred in a uh, Type 2 commercial retail building uh, again, unfortunately, there was an arson-related uh, chain of events that occurred, but there was fire, there was an entrapment, there was a mayday, there was a collapse, and there are significant, very pointed lessons that are drawn out of this report that uh, I think would very appropriately honor the uh, uh, line of duty death of uh, firefighter Scott Deem, who was the firefighter in San Antonio that lost his life there in 2007. Um, 
I would really encourage our listeners to read this report, as as uh, as it is the the other reports there from Michigan, um, the um, the Phoenix report for uh, for uh, Brett Tarver, and then certainly the uh, any one of the the Charleston reports that we've made mention of. But uh, these reports, I believe, resonate significantly with everything that we've talked about, and more importantly, the lessons and learnings that are drawn out of these reports. Um, along with many others, you know, there's, there was the quadruple uh, line of duty death that occurred in uh, Houston, Texas in, in 2013, again, in a, in a commercial building that at the time resulted in four line of duty deaths, along with a, a subsequent line of duty death of a captain who lost his life a number of years later uh, due to the exposure uh, and the events that occurred. So the lessons are out there. It's really incumbent upon each of our listeners to, uh, Number one, be aware of those reports, as we've talked about here, Doug, right? Not to have a potential history repeating event. And there are numerous other uh, similar commercial-related building fires that, again, the NICE reports in particular that did lead to LODDs uh, can provide some lessons and learnings and connect these dots. I think the one most critical aspect here to talk about when we, when we refer back to the lessons and learnings and this was drawn out of a, a University of Georgia report that took a, a deep dive into all of the line of duty deaths. And they came up with four root cause analysis. And I'll just uh, give you the one that relates back here to our commercial conversation. And that goes back to this. It's, 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 it's primarily was focusing in on commanding officers, but it's inclusive of both commanding as well as company officers. Anyone that's in charge that's on the initial alarm that's setting up the initial action plan, identifying the tactics and going into a, a task mode, or the incident commander that's developing the incident action plan, the strategies, and setting the stage out for the operations. And they identified this. They identified that it's the inability for incident commanders to identify those subtleties of an evolving incident, recognize what those subtleties of that event are, and react upon them before the event escalates up into a serious condition. In other words, commanding officers are not recognizing the precursors for adverse conditions and acting upon them before they occur and being able to hopefully change the outcome or, or potentially change the direction of the incident. Specifically in commercial buildings, if we're not looking at subtle or very apparent indicators, not recognizing what we are seeing, not understanding the construction, not balancing out the levels of risk, we're going to miss those opportunities to do a correct check and adjust uh, or even to identify the right things that we should be doing in the initial stages. We are really good at, at reacting to mayday, mayday, I got a collapse, I got a flashover, got whatever it may be and reacting to them. We are not really good on the front end of all of that. And uh, that really sort of revolves around everything that we've been talking about, right, Doug? Uh, the risk factors, risk profiling, stuff that uh, Chief Brunacini talked about, lessons out of the reports, uh, and then our experiences that have really been drawn out of all of these respective areas. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the biggest thing is we need to connect those dots. We need to go back and and recognize some of the continuing issues that, that can occur. Uh, the, the information that we do have at hand that we can learn from and then the biggest thing is applying it. And um, this is just a hair off beat, Chris, but 
you know, within the last week, we had the Loudoun County uh, explosion. Um, lessons learned, we, we backed the clock up to January the 30th in 2007, and two line of duty deaths of emergency responders, two gas technicians that uh, the explosion at the little general store in Gent, West Virginia, just not far from where uh, pipe stem is, is actually um, held. Uh, we, we had the privilege, you and I, of having uh, one of the children um, of one of those responders in her class uh, a number of years ago. But again, these are connecting those type of dots of of what have we learned through the years and, and how do we how do we impact or affect change in, in what we're doing in our thought processes or, or our training? I think it's safe to say that, uh, you know, our attempt here was to uh, identify some, some issues that are out there. We continue, as we've mentioned in our previous episodes, that we're not having nearly enough of, of a conversation on the commercial fireground let alone having enough conversation in any number of other areas. We continue to identify, uh, you know, Doug, on your program on fire and training, uh, opportunities and avenues to enhance training, focus to develop skill set levels to enhance our operability on the fire ground. Uh, on Buildings on Fire, we continue to talk about the built environment and the aspects dealing with occupancy types, occupancy risks, and in this series, uh, Again, our goal was to, if nothing else, increase some perspective, increase a, a heightened degree of awareness on a number of different facets revolving around a very demanding commercial fireground condition, and hopefully giving you some, uh, you the listeners, some insights to hopefully delve into other layers and uh, opportunities for skill, knowledge, skill set development, education, just taking it a next step further from where you were before you uh, tuned in and became aware of some things. We have only scratched the surface, and we look forward to bringing you some additional uh, multi-part series as we continue into the current year here on fireengineering.com on the uh, podcast and webcast series. Uh, we have FDIC coming up here in a very, very short period of time where we'll both be presenting. We look forward to uh, meeting many of you there on the floor at FDIC. We also have a scheduled uh, live pod and webcast program that we'll be doing uh, later in that week at uh, FDIC. And again, we'll get that posted and the schedule's up here shortly. But uh, we look forward to being able to speak with many of our listeners face-to-face, -face, either in the formality of our classroom programs that both uh, Doug and I are going to be presenting at, as well as the, uh, the unofficial, uh, casual kind of conversations there in the hallways uh, outside the classrooms and certainly uh, within and around the streets of Indy. Um, I would uh, be remiss if I did not uh, thank um, um, Fire Engineering for the opportunity to give us this latitude to really delve into some things that uh, I think are very important to the fire service, and that reflects highly on everyone that's involved with uh, fire engineering, the staff, the management, the oversight, uh, the behind-the-scenes people, and so forth. Uh, Again, our continued thanks for this opportunity to to continue to have a voice in the uh, in the uh, training and education and the well-being of the fire service. Um, I'll just give you my actually no, Doug. I'll just let you get so closing closing thoughts on the series. 
Well, I think, again, we just scratched the surface, Chris. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, so much to talk about. Um, not enough time on the show to talk about, but hopefully what we've done has sparked your interest that you begin having the tailboard conversations, the kitchen table talks over a cup of coffee, analyzing and, and strategizing about your districts, your people, their knowledge, the tactics that are being deployed, uh, what capabilities you have, what you don't have, looking dynamically at the challenges uh, that are in front of you, uh, in your buildings, the types of buildings, and are you prepared to do that? So again, uh, as we always say, Chris, you got to get out into your streets. You got to be uh, visiting these buildings, seeing when they're going up, once they're up, taking advantage of every opportunity you get to actually be a student of what's in your district and what the challenges are going to be. No, absolutely. You could have said it any better. I think, again, to close out our episode here and close out our series, the lessons and the learnings are resonating out of the NIOSH reports, out of after action reports, those reports that might be departmentally based and have never gone beyond the confines of your organization. But certainly the lessons and learnings and recommendations are rooted in the sacrifices paid by numerous firefighters especially coming out of the NIOSH reports and the recommendations, many of which we've uh, mentioned here and many more that, again, we have not. And not uh, by deliberate action, it's just a matter that there are, are many other uh, reports that highlight, again, commercial fireground incidences and various lessons and learnings that are drawn out of those to hopefully, again, try to uh, limit or eliminate potential uh, occurrences in the future. So. Do not underestimate the potential risk associated with these structures and really fall back upon knowledge, skills, develop the appropriateness in all related areas for that next operation that you go out there. Uh, the challenge is not going to go away. I think it's certainly going to continue to increase, and we will have other conversations here either on a very specific topic uh, on fire and training on Doug's program or certainly here on Buildings on Fire. So. Again, until next time, uh, companies are in quarters off the air. Stay safe. Keep in mind that there's a job being worked somewhere in the streets, in your city, across the country, and around the world doing what we do best, and that's being firefighters. So, again, take care, everyone. Thank you very much for listening in on our series here on Fire and Training with Chief Doug Klein and Buildings on Fire here with your host, uh, Chris Nam. So, until next time, we're signing off. Stay safe, and uh, we'll see you next time around. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com.